You have now arrived at Stadium and Gale. Boys and girls, ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Stadium Miguel. It's your favorite Uncle Silk. It's Dan. And Del Torrey. Same corner, same time, man. Peak summer vibes. How y'all boys feeling? Y'all good? Nick? I, I feel great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Had, a, had a relaxing weekend uh, with mm. a significant other. Um, had some mimosas yesterday. Kicked back. A little brunch vibes. Uh, mimosa, oh, some, man. Some avocado toast and mimosa. Big, oh, man. Big, oh, man. big Becky Karen vibes yesterday. I can see that. Dude, you yell at? you go to the store and just yell at a random manager? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Fought the urge. Yeah. Fought little, the urge to ask for the manager. What's your brunch gear look like? You got your uh, shorts below, above the knees? Oh, listen. I mean, we're going five-inch shorts. Yeah. There, there's skies out, thighs out. Guys out, mm-hmm. thighs out, baby. Uh, thank you, Manscaped, later in the ad. But you know, Yo. keeping, no Harry Larry. No Harry Still, Larry, man. It's no summer, Harry summer, man. You gotta keep your yeah. shirt. Mm. Had some red shorts on, white shirt. There you go. Mm. Sunglasses. Mm. Uh, she wanted to eat outside. It was 11 o'clock, already 98 degrees. Ooh, said, not, not a chance. Said, not a chance. Bold We're going inside. Mm. I like it. Yeah, it's definitely eat inside weather. Yeah, not a, there's nothing outside weather right now. Nick, you might have said it. Where did you eat? Uh, it's called That Bar and Table. Um, oh. It used to be Lucy's. Hmm. Very good. I'll have to give it a right. shot. Next time. So I am not well, uh, gentlemen. <laughs> I, I'm um, unwell. Yeah, I, 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 went, I went hard pause this weekend. Um, I had a, a big charity event that I, that I love going to every year. It's a, it's a, a gala event. It raises money for uh, the Moff Cancer Center here in town. Mafia Cancer I, Yeah. Yep. The, uh, it's called big, Mafia? Uh, cancer, cancer Research Hospital here. Oh, I ain't never heard of Didn't Mafia. I? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a dope name. I like it. Yeah. So they they have uh, – there's a, a group that puts on an event that raises money for them. I bought tickets for that um, a few months ago. A few months ago, maybe a couple weeks after I bought tickets, my buddy Paul – Everybody loves Paul from the timeline. Text me. He's like, hey, boy. All right. Hey, buddy. My uh, Our boys are playing uh, Whiskey Myers, a, a big country music band that we like, are playing in St. Augustine this day. Do you want to go? Like, sure. Let's get tickets. He bought me tickets. Um, a couple months go by. I'm writing down my plan and schedule. I'm like, oh, shoot. That's the same weekend. So I have to go big, big, big formal gathering Saturday night, wake up, drive my – Hopefully not too hungover ass up to Gainesville or up to St. Augustine and then just get back at it Sunday night. So in traditional Dan Bender vibes, get up there, mm. have a blast last night, get it rained on a little bit in St. Augustine. That's okay. Have an elite time. But then driving back today, it all just kind of hit me. I'm just not as young as I used to be anymore. So it's going to be one that I kind of struggle through today. The ride home from the Benders be a lot of self-reflecting. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, Brooke's sleeping in the car. I'm just it's just me in the road, and you just you start to self-evaluate a little bit more. But you're right. But uh you have to do it, right? We only get the chance to do this once. So 
Uh, shout out to Whiskey Myers. Shout out to uh, Shane Smith and the Saints. Elite performance last night. So, shout out to Paul, man. Paul got the the, the rawest, toughest, best uh, seafood grill out, seafood bowl mm-hmm. I ever had at a tailgate, man. Paul gets busy. He uh, he's going to be doing that at the LSU game again this year. Ooh, uh, he's bringing a hundred quart. Uh, cooker with him he said he's going to get up there friday morning and he's just going to set himself up on the lawn there at the university of florida for two days and nice. just cook out so all are welcome i guess that is, uh, that's, I, I might need to hook him up with uh my my buddy um zach from lsu he's making he is a big lsu fan <clears throat> um i met him through richard johnson um shout out to richard uh yeah. just got honored with the Ed Ashoff Rising Star Award uh, from the Football Writers Association of America. Uh, nice. I couldn't imagine another person Ed would want to win the award other than Richard. Um, so shout out to him. Um, but I met Zach through Richard, and uh, he does that, like what Paul is talking about doing, every LSU home game. And he, he said this year he wants to take it on the road. And I was like, listen, you give me some of that, that – gumbo that's uh, some of that jumbo eye that you spend 48 hours cooking that i had in baton rouge and you can stay at my house yeah we um, got the same corner in the same time you can do that, that too man we can throw out if you want to come do some tailgate vibes with a, with a seafood boy man um he got free yeah. uh taste testers yeah all day all day man so uh, how was your weekend you up... go ahead nick no go ahead sup i just oh, want to ask was I vibed out, man. Um, mm-hmm. Worked at the Kush House. We had an interview on the roll-up guys and crew. We had an interview with Preston Parker, uh, former Delray Atlantic, Florida State wide receiver. Um, it was electric at his time. Short stint at Florida State. Yeah, we did three years, but he got kicked out for some and joined the North Alabama crew with Janoris. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of that 5-6-1 to big three to North Alabama vibes. Um but a great conversation, some great storytelling. And after that, man, I just chill. I hung out, uh, spent some time, more time in the cush. I was getting things together, getting the studio in order for the fall, organized some things, hung out with my son, uh, went and checked out Crystal Shop and did some rendezvous around Orlando with him and then made it back home, man. Oh, That's man. it. That's the vibes. It's worth it. It's my birthday hard. week, man, so I'm about to relax. Yeah, man, happy birthday. Happy early birthday. Happy Thanks, early man. birthday. Thanks, man. It's your Sean big uh, Sean Kemp year, right? Sean Kemp year, baby. 40 man big four zero so hmm. just relaxing man trying to get you know uh things in order as much as i can before the weekend because i'm gonna unplug i don't have any crazy big plans but i don't want to be on none of the apps i just want to be off yeah. the grid man you know just enjoy my friend for sure well, happy happy early birthday to you uh we got a good show uh for you guys this week we were, had the chance uh to interview todd golden last week so we'll insert that interview in really good conversation uh with him new florida gators basketball coach and then we're going to dive into to some of the other big issues that are uh that, that we're encountering uh in the florida gator fan base whether it's recruiting whether it's number changes and all that but we've got a good exciting episode for you but as we always do we want to give a shout out to our friend alan horn with Allen Horn Insurance. Uh, for being the title sponsor of Stadium Miguel, Allen is located up there in Jasper, Georgia. So if you live in Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, or Alabama, and you are looking for auto, home, renters, life insurance, business insurance, retirement planning, whatever the case may be, visit him at 706-692-2888 or allenhorninsurance.com. Again, that's Allen Horn 
A-L-A-N-H-O-R-N-E, insurance.com or 706-692-2888. Gentlemen, uh, we do have some new numbers in Florida Gator Nation this week uh, that were announced, but the uh, probably the biggest news that uh, fans clamored over with late last week was Ricky Pearsall. Uh, wide mm-hmm. receiver transfer from Arizona State, grabbing that number one jersey. Any thoughts on that? Were you surprised? I was surprised. Yeah, I don't know uh, how far Billy's, uh, you know, how serious he's taking the number one in the tradition of it. Um, but traditionally, is the best player on the team. I don't know uh, if Ricky Pearsall is that. I would like to see Ar in it, but the player got to actually want to wear number one mm-hmm. as well. But uh, yeah, it's, it does raise some eyebrows, but uh, just talking to some guys on the team, they say he is looking good. Um, could take the, the roof off the defense, um, doing his thing in, in workouts, but I don't know, man. I ain't talking feeling some, it. Talking to some guys on the team, a lot of guys weren't feeling it. Uh, yeah, and, right. And it's because, I, I mean, did it start with Urban, really, the number one? It probably started before, no, before that. Then. I would I would say it probably started in the early 2000s. Right around like the Kiwan Ratliff time because you know Reggie Urban made Urban made it a shame. Yeah. Okay. Like the uh, best player award, but I think Urban like officially made it a thing when he got there. Made like rewarded, make it a reward. You had to earn, earn it. it. Right. Like Janoris Jenkins didn't come in from JUCO where or not Janoris. Um Reggie Nelson didn't come in from JUCO wearing number one. Right. He had a number and then showed he was a baller and got number one. Mm-hmm. Um, not to, sound like Dan, not to sound like Dan Moe, Percy Harvin wore number eight. Vernon Hargreaves had an egregious 16 on his back for he one game, for one game. Um, I, I think, I don't know how important Jersey numbers are. Like obviously the number one as a head coach, you probably have 30 guys outside your door that all want that number. Um, maybe it was Billy's way of being like, Hey, I'm not, I don't want, to make numbers a big deal. We'll just give it to the kid that wants it, that just got here, sure. Um, but it's one that I kind of liked. I kind of liked the – you had to earn number one. If, you, if you're if you a Florida fan and you're, and you're looking down the field and you see someone wearing number one, you, like, mentally put a, a note in your head, like, hey, that's a dude. That's someone I, I should be watching today. Mm-hmm. Um, is that Ricky Persall? I don't know. Does Florida know? Yeah. Probably not because they're not really doing anything really football right, right. now. Right. So I think that to me was the surprising one. Yeah, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know what the number means. I don't know if that's a tradition that's being carried over or not. Uh, was a little surprising. Also, it, it could be a little bit uh, much to do about nothing. You know, we also don't know how many players uh, pined for that jersey number. Um, certainly, it's something that maybe they wanted, but also maybe they were, uh, you know, pretty happy. There was a lot of. There was only four number changes uh, overall. Um, only a couple of them were on the offensive side of the ball as it was. So uh, at the end of the day, maybe it's it's not a, a number that that anybody – I'm not saying that anybody didn't want it, but I'm also not sure you know, if there's necessarily always a huge fight over it or certainly it might not have been a thing. Uh, there could have been other you know factors that, that came into that as well from a, a leadership perspective, um, you know, maybe a recruiting perspective uh, for him as well. Right? Who knows? So he's certainly interesting, uh, but definitely that is not the guy that I thought would have uh, the number one. Yeah, I don't know who would you who, who no, would nobody you have? Right now. If not, and if not AR, nobody in my mind right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if you maybe one of the running backs wanted it, right? And we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, you know, but I don't, I don't know of anybody that's 
truly deserving on the offensive side of the ball besides maybe Anthony Richardson for that number. Yeah. And I, uh, well, you know, he's moving away from the AR-15 nickname, but I don't right. think he was looking for a jersey uh, number swap. Who no. was it? Harrison that told us he liked the uh, A, the number one air, if uh, AR were to, to switch. Yeah, I would have liked that Brandon move as well. That was that was pretty slick. Um, how do you guys feel about him moving? We talked about it, I think, before. Mm-hmm. How do you guys uh, feel about him moving away from uh, that moniker? Um, <clears throat> from a marketing standpoint, it's, it's probably just smart business. Yeah, unless unless, unless you were going to get the AR money, uh, the NRA money. I, I just I, I don't know what value in, in these times you have with keeping that branding. I know I know it's unfortunate, um, you know, but certainly it shows a lot of uh, maturity in my perspective from from his camp and from from him making that decision. Um, you know, again, you know, right now we we live in. And very sad and unfortunate times where that's not uh, even something that we can um, use lightly or use in a different way. So I do applaud him for doing that. Um, you know, did did wonder if that would come with a number change and maybe a completely new rebrand. Uh, but uh, ultimately, I do applaud him for the maturity of, of making that change, uh, you know, in this day and age. I feel like they took Auntie Mom off of syrup. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean it. It's unfortunate, right? Because I mean, we talked about how kind of perfectly it fit, right? right, um, right. You know, a couple of years ago, and then obviously with NIL and everything else. But uh, you know, to be able to see the forest through the trees and be able to to think of you know the, the bigger issue at hand rather than just your personal branding, I think that shows a lot of maturity for for, sure. for AR. For sure. For sure. Um, let's see in other, uh, name changes, uh, Naquan Wright goes from number six down to number five, uh, chief borders changes from number 36 to number 14. Uh, Dejan Reynolds goes Ew. from 81 to eight. And then Jordan young goes from 31 to 11. Like any that. thoughts on any of those? Oh, I like 31. I, went, I, didn't, I didn't mind 31. I think that's a good DV number. Shout out to Cody Riggs. Yeah. I like 11 better. Let's say yes. on Georgia. We call we called the we called the, whoever were 11 was sticks when we played baseball. Right. Okay. I like that. I do not like 14. 14 from 36 to 14. Yeah. yeah, I don't think that that's a number upgrade. You know, if that you're, a, if you're a backup if you're a backup quarterback, mm-hmm. right? You're a walk on, maybe you get that scholarship you go from 36 to 14. I'm just not sure I I you know I jump I out seeing a, a 14 linebacker number, you know? Definitely a walk-on number. <laughs> Alex sure. McAllister? Was I? I thought Alex McAllister was 16. 13. He was 13. Mm-hmm. No, what was McAllister? Mm-hmm. He was 13. Huh? He was 16. No, that was uh, Dan. was 13. Yeah, Dan was 13. Well, McAllister never was 13. They're on hmm. the same team. They're on the same team. Who's number 14. You're right, Nick. Oh, wow. Listen, bro, I know my numbers. I, and yeah. I'm here for the, was it a number upgrade or downgrade? Me and Dan didn't remember it. So yeah. points still proven. We didn't remember what that number <laughs> <was>. <laughs> um, All right, Nick. Um, no, I think going from uh, number six to number five for Naquan Wright, that's a number upgrade. Uh, I like the I would number say, five. I like six. I would say, I would say it's a push. I'd say it's a push. It's a push. I like a push. So I'm gonna go with single digits. Single digits is most likely gonna be pushed unless you like nine or something ugly yeah. like that. I don't like nine Nine's or eight. Good? I'm cool on nine. It's not bad, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just cool on it. 
So we we said number. thirty-six to fourteen is a downgrade. Um, in, my, in my opinion, the chief. I mean, so like Chiefs playing like outside. Um, I like 30, a fifty-one. You know, like a fifty-three. So Chiefs, Chiefs more. He's playing like outside linebacker. He's playing like edge. So like thirty-six is is to me is a DB. Yeah, no, just a DB or maybe like or a, a specialist, a, a fullback. How yeah. dare you? Specialists should get first pick of numbers. Um, yeah, 14, 14 yeah. is a, I think 14 is a better number for his position, but still not a good number. All specialists should have numbers in the forties. Um, oh, so uh, 81 to eight, I'm going to go push. I like the number 81 for a wide receiver, but maybe I'm just a little old school with the NFL, right? Yeah. I'm going to go downgrade. I About think, eight. the, I think eight's a better number, but, uh, I don't know. 81. I like Chad Jackson like got some Chad Jackson vibes to it. I'm not yeah. mad at eight. Uh I wouldn't personally want to wear, but I do I would 81 was Callaway, but I do I like a single digit over the 80s, man. Unless you want to be a, a wide receiver from the 90s. If we're keeping mm. it in a buck, 81 was Chico. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's a good point. Uh and then uh 31 down to eleven. I'd say upgrade, even though I like 31 better. 30, I like personally. I like the number thirty-one, but you just like because Cody Riggs wore and he went to uh, Saint Thomas. I say pride. Yeah, yeah. You don't really like that ugly ass number, man. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of ugly numbers, uh, and I can say this: so my hockey number for a long time was number twenty-nine. Ew. New transfer wide receiver <laughs> Ty Bowman, not good. Growing up, the number twenty-nine, not good. Yeah, over under like, one catch on the season. You are in the number twenty nine. I, uh, I, I get, I get, I get big Gunner vibes. Big yeah, special, third, team special teams. Vibes. If if yeah. not, if you're not gonna look at film, if you're not gonna, if if you're purely just want to scratch the surface, if I'm a receiver and I transfer yeah. to school, and they hand me twenty nine, I'm like, damn, I picked the wrong school, bro. And then the other transfer that came in with you got the number one. Yeah, yeah, you're like, yo, I definitely you got you just, school. You have to know where you sit right then, right? Like maybe I should have been a Mac. Uh, it's different, it's different transfer. One's coming from then he come from Duco. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in that kid though. I want to see, I want to see yeah. him follow him in camp. Um I'm not, hey, I wasn't well, mad well, at his film. I think he brings something different in our wide receiver room. Um don't, don't walk away, don't walk away from the TV on punt team and kickoff, then Jeez. you'll see him. You, you, do you hear good things or something? What you hear? No, nah, just strictly off of getting the number 29. Oh, sometimes they just hand out numbers, man. He'll figure it out once he gets here. They probably promised Ricky something in recruiting. Mm. He was Open more bag. You need a bag and a number now. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're, you're transferring in the portal. You can talk bags in the portal. You're not a high school recruit. What we got? Yeah, just looking to see if there's any other number changes. Couldn't really see or anything else that uh, we could talk about numbers related. I know that certainly that's not the most elite content uh, in the world. Who was your uh, your favorite off the top of your head? Do you guys have any um, players that wore unique numbers that you thought really fit them or you know stood out despite it being a, a very odd number? Um, you know, somebody the in the time, chat says Antonio Morrison, number 12. That was some, certainly something. At the time – um john bostic wearing number one that was crazy um was crazy because like linebackers weren't really wearing those right. kind of numbers he also was massive and like number kind of just got like lost on him um i love 
any big man with a small number. So like when sure. like easily uh, Carlos Dunlap and eight. When, okay. When easily switched down to two, I thought yeah. that was wild. Um. Yeah. So there, there's a any any big guy with a small number. Like give me a give me a nose tackle wearing Yo. zero. I'm all about it. I like that. Mm. So, trying to think if there's anybody else that really kind of stuck out. Um, I liked, uh, uh, and it's not a number you see often, but uh, my boy Jermaine Cunningham. I think he was number uh, 49. Yeah, I was about to say 44 with Orr. I thought, yeah. I thought it was, was different too. We could get Jermaine on the show. Him and I used to be boys back in the day. Me, him, Will Hill, and D Finley used to go bowling. Oh, that's a crew. Were, now that's that a was crew. a crew. Now, now we know why they got in shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did Dan sneak into that crew? Man, that's a wild crew, man. That's a that's a group to put together. Hell yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Shout out to D Finley, man. man. D- uh Jermaine Cunningham was cool. Him and Dustin Doe were were roommates like freshman summer B, and they live right across from uh from my best friend. We had some great stories. Uh, but Jermaine Cunningham's actually part of the reason I got uh, a job working at the uh, UF recruiting department. We were talking uh after a uh he was maybe in the weight room and, and I was walking to class and we were just chatting and Emily heater walked up to him. And then we started talking and long story short, you know, a couple of weeks later, I got a job working in the football recruiting office. So shout out uh, to him. Uh, let's get, why don't we do this? Why don't we let the listeners listen to our Todd golden interview and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit of recruiting. Cause I know that there's a lot of stuff uh, that folks want to talk about there, but before we do that. Uh, Silk, why don't you do a Gramco ad read for our Todd Golden interview? Absolutely. Be sure to visit thegramco.com. Uh, use coupon code SG25 for gummies, awake and bake coffee, pre-roll, sativa doll products. Uh, those gummies come in three flavors, by the way. Uh, blue raspberry, fruit punch, and watermelon. Um, they also have a hard candy now that's tropical orange. Uh, very good. More like a Jolly Rancher type uh, feel, but uh, everything's federally legal uh, to your mailbox uh, in, in discreet packaging. Uh, Sativa Doll products is on a different website. You can visit them on sativadoll.com. Uh, and Grandpa takes every, take care of everything from seed all the way to packaging. So you know your source and exactly where your product is coming from. Uh, like I said, be sure to visit thegramco.com. Use coupon code SG25 at checkout for 25% off. Your... And we are joined today, and we are very excited for this interview with new Florida Gators basketball coach, Todd Golden. Todd, how have the last few months been for you in Gainesville? Been pretty dang good, man. It's uh, It's been a blast being on the ground here. Uh, obviously, everything happened pretty quick in terms of the transition and, uh, you know, finishing up our season out in San Francisco and then trying to get it, hit the ground running here in Gainesville. But uh it's flown by, you know, we're about five weeks into our summer program now uh, with most of our team here on campus and uh, feel like we're in a pretty good spot, all things considered. Awesome, man. Well, we want to get uh, obviously into your, your time here at UF and then what the first uh, five weeks or so have looked like, but want to ask you a little bit about, you know, how you got to this point in your career. Uh, grew up in, in beautiful Arizona, uh, played basketball at, at St. Mary's uh, College there in California, where you obviously did quite well. I uh, saw that uh, you had the uh, all-times, uh, all-time leader in free throw percentage when you were there. Uh, unfortunately broken by uh, Matthew Delavadova, but uh, had a great career there. And then you went over to Israel uh, to play professional basketball. So tell us a little bit about kind of your story and how you got into basketball and then you know your college and, and professional and playing career. 
Yeah, you know, I got in, you know, playing, got into basketball and playing ball at an early age. My father played uh, freshman basketball at UMass back in the day. And so, uh, you know, growing up in Phoenix, uh, really just, it was part of my life, you know, from a very early age. And, you know, always, I played multiple sports, you know, I played baseball growing up as well. And so I never really specialized in it, but it was usually what I was most passionate in. And then really when I got into high school, uh, I was just super fortunate to have a really good high school coach, Dan Mannix. And, and, uh, kind of gave me the confidence and the belief that I could become a division one player. And so, uh, you know, being in that program and having a lot of success, we, I think we went 76 and 12 in my three years there. We won a lot of games and uh, won a state championship and uh, gained a lot of, you know, toughness and grit and just a good understanding of, of what it would take as a very under talented athlete to, to be at the division one level. Um, but, you know, again, fortunate to at that point to be seen by both Randy Bennett and Kyle Smith on the AU circuit. I played one summer with the Arizona Stars, which would have, you know, their Nike team. They would have been on the EYBL if this was, you know, this year. Um, and they were actually recruiting one of my teammates pretty heavily. And uh, they saw me and they're like, man, this kid has a chance, but didn't feel like he was ready for a scholarship. So I walked on there at first, but I carved out a role pretty quick and, uh, you know, started for three seasons there played in two NCAA tournaments and uh, just had a really, really good experience. And I feel like both having Dan Mannix and then playing for Randy and Kyle, it really gave me a great uh, foundation for understanding the game and, and really kind of having a passion for it. There was some guy, uh, some guy named Patty Mills, I think showed up, uh, <laughs> which allowed you to change positions. How much did that, did that, I guess, help you get, get recognized and then help you get to uh, playing professionally in Israel? You know, it's a it's a it's a great question. I remember going into my fifth year at St. Mary's, Coach Bennett and Kyle called me in the office and they they were, you know, this was after the first month or two on campus and Patty had been there and really, you know, we could tell pretty quick that he was a dang good player. And so, um, you know, I remember Randy's like, hey, Todd, you know, what, what position do you envision yourself playing this year for us? And I said, Coach, I'll be honest, you know, I, I enjoy playing point guard, but if, if that's what Patty's playing, then I'm more than happy to slide over to the two and uh, and take on that responsibility and that role. And, uh, you know, Patty, you know, his presence gave me the ability to be a much more efficient player. Obviously, he played point, uh, handled most of the ball handling duties that year, allowed me to slide off the ball and, and be more of a catch-and-shoot guy and more of a secondary ball handler and facilitator. And, uh, you know, the reality is we just paired really well together. I think, you know, me being more of a veteran, uh, you know, having a bunch of experience under my belt, Patty being more of a talent, but not really having that experience at that level. Uh, we, we were kind of a very good Batman and Robin that way. And I was more than happy as a fifth year senior to take a backseat to him. And, I, you know, his fourth game uh, that year, we were on national TV. We played Oregon. They were number 11 in the country at the time. And uh, that was kind of Patty's coming out party at 37 in that game. And we won on uh, national TV, but, uh, you know, just a great experience. Patty and I are still close to this day. Megan and I went to his wedding a couple years ago. Uh, and, uh, we try to catch up every summer, but you know, it was, it was definitely something that, you know, being able to play with great teammates like Patty Mills, Omar Samhan, Diamond Simpson, Ian O'Leary, uh, you know, those guys gave me the opportunity to, you know, eventually play at the professional level for a couple years. Well, uh at what at what place in your uh, professional career you started thinking uh, coaching and um, that was the route that you wanted to go? Honestly, it didn't it didn't really happen as I was playing pro. And in fact, it was kind of more the other way. It was you know I was over there in Israel, uh, you know, living by myself, getting homesick every other day. You know, excited to kind of get back to the United States at some point. 
and live what I thought would be more of a normal life, you know, getting out of the basketball world and, you know, whether it was entering finance or business, whatever it was, um, but living more of a, you know, standard Monday, nine to Monday to Friday, nine to five deal where I'd have my weekends, um, you know, and so that that's what I did when I got back initially. Uh, but it was really when I did that for a couple of years and realized that putting a suit and tie on every day and, you know, having to sit at my desk until five o'clock on Friday, no matter right. what, wasn't what I was really passionate about. Uh, and it was basketball that, that I wanted to be a part of and being part of a team and, and kind of leading younger guys. So it was really after that outside of uh, sport experience that kind of led me back into coaching and back into basketball. And I know you you joined Kyle Smith's staff there at Columbia, and you mentioned Kyle Smith had recruited you uh, when you were a high schooler and then ultimately over St. Mary's. Uh, how did that conversation ultimately happen, and, and what was that transition like? I, I know you were in the advertising world for a little bit, but what was that transition like from you know a traditional 9 to 5 to obviously the very untraditional hours of, uh, of working as a basketball coach? Yeah, you know, it's funny because Kyle got the job at Columbia after my second year in Israel. And so when, uh, you know, he got it, I was still finishing up playing and he asked, asked me to join his staff at that point. Uh, but I just wasn't ready to make that move, you know, go from playing professionally in Israel, then moving back to the States, but living in New York, you know, basically across the across the United States from my friends and family. And so we kind of had Kyle and I would have conversations that felt like every off season, you know, for the first two years. But, hey, do you want to come back? no. Um, I'm just not ready for it. He would get pissed at me for about a week and then we'd get over it and we'd move on. And then, so it was really, uh, I, I initiated the conversation, uh, you know, after his second season and he kind of made me beg for it, to be honest. He's like, Hey, how bad do you want this? You know, do you really want to, you know, do you want to be a part? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to be an assistant. He's like, well, no, I'm not going to give you that job. You have to be Dobo if you want to do this. And, uh, you know, really made me earn it. And in fact, it, it really did give me a better foundation for, for coaching. But, uh, you know, I, I think once we got back there and I started working with him and, and Carlin Hartman and Kevin Hubdy and the rest of that staff, uh, I knew it. I knew right away that it's it was what I was meant to do and, and what I enjoyed doing. And even though the hours were were different and, you know, we we're always working on Saturdays and sometimes Sundays, it, it just felt uh, it didn't feel like work. And that was something that really uh, I, I was excited about and knew that I kind of found my my calling. For anyone listening, Dobo, director of basketball operations. Um, yeah. <laughs> how did that help you? Um, just not not jumping right into coaching um, and, and maybe just working from, you know, like a staff side. How did that help you um, just see how college basketball was? You know, now it's completely different. And I want to ask you about that later. But how did that just help you in terms of becoming a coach and, and learning while not coaching on the court? You know, I think what, what people need to understand about college basketball, it, it's so much different than the NBA, right? There's just so many more variables and so many more uh, factors of your program than in the NBA. Like NBA coaches get to coach basketball and then that's about it. Watch them film and they go home. Whereas in our world, you have recruiting, you have budgeting, um, you have scheduling, you have uh, player development, you have all these different factors. And so I think working that first year at Columbia – as a director of basketball operations. And then my first year with Bruce at Auburn, I, I was the director of basketball ops as well. Uh, I just feel like it gave me a really good understanding of how college basketball operates and how it works. And uh, it's really, uh, I think it's really important and good programs have a great feel in all those different areas and aspects. And so those experiences uh, just made me a more well-rounded coach and a more well-rounded CEO of sorts uh, in regards to running a program. Are you yourself surprised at how fast you rose up at, at a young age? Uh, 
You know, sometimes, but I, I think we've also had a lot of success and, and I think the best, you know, I've definitely had some good luck. Um, but the best way to be lucky is to, to be good and put yourself in a position to be successful. And no I think, doubt. you know, I've, I've been fortunate, uh, from the time I was in high school to be around really good coaches. You know, I think Randy Bennett is one of the best coaches in the country, you know, probably one of the most underrated coaches in the country. Uh, Kyle, you know, has always done really well at tough jobs, you know, won 23 games at Columbia, then went to San Francisco and had three 21 years there. And they hadn't had much success prior and got, uh, you know, Washington state into the semis of the NIT. And, and as you guys know, that's a program that hasn't been any good since Tony Bennett left. So, uh, you know, and then Bruce obviously is really, really successful and done it his own way. So, I feel like I've had some really, really good mentors and role models to pull from. Uh, you know, I feel like my play, playing experience has helped me a lot in terms of being able to relate and, uh, and coach guys and be able to figure out what makes them tick and be able to build true relationships uh, with all my student athletes. And, uh, yeah, you know, I would, if you would ask me 10 years ago, do you think you'd be the head coach at Florida? I'd say probably not. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, we were able to build San Francisco into an NCAA tournament team for the first time in 25 years. And, and we have had really good success. So, uh, you know, I think this is an opportunity that I'm ready for and one that I'm really excited about. Uh, we've been having real quick. One, one, one more, Dan, real quick. Uh, our, our offense has been, uh, has been the thing in, at University of Florida lately since Billy left. That's been the complaint from fans. Uh, what, what should we expect offensively from um, uh, Ty Golden basketball team? Yeah, we're, you know, I think it's and this is obviously what every coach says, but we, I really like we're going to try to play. We're going to try to get easy baskets in transition. You know, I think that's, you know, the first thing that you got. You have to build out and you have to be pretty good at if you want to be a very efficient offense. Uh, it's just way easier to score in transition than it is in the half court. So I think that's one thing that we'll continue to stress and work on. And what's exciting is we have guys that I think can really push it uh, in transition. You know, Kyle Lofton. Uh, he's just a phenomenal point guard. You know, we're really fortunate to have him. I think he's a guy that's going to be a really good leader for us this year. And then you look at the other ball handers, guys like Trey Bonham, Myron Jones. I think both those guys are going to be able to push it for us and really be able to play fast and make good decisions in, in transition. And then in the half court, uh, you know, we're not going to reinvent the wheel. I think we have some really good pieces. You know, we're going to play out of the post with Colin. Uh, you know, Jatobo is a guy we'll throw it into and let him cook on the block a little bit. He has some really good skill and feel down there. And uh, we'll play out of the ball screen quite a bit. You know, I think these guys, both Kyle and Trey, are really good playmakers and, and really good threats that way. And when you talk, we haven't even talked about guys like Will, Kowasi, uh, Fudge, you know, just to name a few guys that can really, really shoot it, straight line drive it, get to the rim. We just have a lot of weapons. So I think we're going to be able to take advantage of that uh, quite a bit. And I think this team will shoot the ball a little bit better than uh, Florida has the past couple of years. Uh, Todd, I want to ask you, because I know a, a lot of uh, folks when you got hired uh, connected your name to, to analytics and the use of, of deeper analytics and, and probably uh, some things that are unfamiliar in the basketball world, except those that are, are really kind of dive in. What, what, how exactly do you use analytics or, or what is it that made you kind of the, the analytics guy in, in college basketball that everybody always kind of referred to you as? Yeah, I think, you know, a couple, it, there's a couple of different ways to look at it, you know, from why we've gotten the respect and I, I would guess the notoriety in terms of, you know, the national landscape and in our analytical kind of uh, mentality, you know, we do some things in games that are a little unique, you know, we foul, uh, you know, we foul teams at the end of games in some scenarios where other people might think it'd be crazy to do that. Um, and, and we've scheduled in a way where we've kind of drawn some, uh, you know, people, people have been inquisitive about it. You know, what, why are you guys doing this? You know, why does this make sense? And, and I think when people see the results and see that we were 23rd in the net last year at San Francisco and 23rd in Kempom, like, all right, these guys might be up to something. They might have something figured out. And so 
I think those are the main reasons why, from a national standpoint, uh, we've kind of gained that sort of reputation. But really, it's more of a holistic approach in the way we view it and the way we think about basketball, the way we think about our program. You know, myself, Jonathan Sapphire, uh, specifically, you know, we're, we're really analytical in the way we process things and think about it. And so it's really in every aspect of our program, we're trying to get as much data as possible, whether it's scheduling, whether it's, you know, lineup data, whether it's player development in the preseason, we're just trying to get as much information as possible um, and then analyze the data and then try to get the best solutions or try to get the best answers from that. And, and we're not always going to be right, but we're always going to give ourselves the best opportunity to be right. And, and so when we do that, I think you find ways to have success in the margins. And so uh, it's really more of an approach in the way we, we uh, go about our everyday business here in the program. It's more of an analytical approach than one specific thing. Uh, but those, na- those things in terms of fouling and scheduling, those are kind of the things that have kind of got opened people's eyes to our program. That, uh, th- that was one for me, uh, like noticing like um, an intentional foul with like a second before half or a couple seconds before half to get like another possession. Like instead of yeah. trying for, you know, a one-on-one, like, hey, if we foul, we can get, we can get two offensive possessions. And that one to me, I think uh, I-, I made sure like tell fans like, hey, watch some of this stuff because the mm-hmm. first time you see in the O-Dome, you don't need to be like yelling and cursing. Like this is, <laughs> this is how the program is, is, is going to look. And these are some of the things that they're going to do. And there's a reason behind it. Yeah, no, I think it's one of those, it's it's funny because like Jeff Goodman, I was talking to Jeff Goodman, he's like, hey, you know, I know you do all these things uh, where you're fouling and stuff. Are you going to be able to handle it when it doesn't work out, you know, when in your first couple of games at the Odo? And I'm like, you know what, that, that's who we are, man. I mean, that, yeah, they're going to they're gonna have to live with it. I'm going to have to live with it. You know, that's what got us here. And, uh, you know, I think that's the thing that you got to understand in terms of like when you, when you do things, uh, you know, a little bit outside the box, you know, as long as you're giving yourself the best chance to be successful, you have to be true to it. And you can't you can't be afraid about it. You know, you can't pick and choose when you're going to try to execute it. You got to have a for lack of a better term, you got to have some stones to be able to do it. You know, whether you're playing Kentucky or whether you're playing, uh, uh, you know, a smaller school, you know, so it's uh, it's who we are and uh, we're not going to run from it. Um, you got the the, uh, the transfer the, the transfer portal um, is changing college basketball, football, maybe even more so in basketball just because of the smaller roster size. Um, how much does that change your philosophy as a coach? Cause now because of the one-time transfer, um, exception, you might not get a kid to commit to you and then have him for three or four years. You could have him for one. How does that just change roster building and, and shaping of your program? Yeah, it's changed it a lot. It just really has, you know, I think, um, we, we kind of picked up on it after my second year at San Francisco. We're like, hey, you know, this is probably a good vehicle, especially there, uh, to get some guys that we normally wouldn't be able to get out of high school. Mm-hmm. And, and so we were able to add, uh, you know, some really, really talented big guys that way and, and really beefed up our team to the point where, you know, we obviously had a high major plus team. And so when we got here, we were, first of all, we were excited because there were really good talent in the program, you know, that we were able to keep guys like Colin, Kowasi, Myron, uh, Niall, CJ, Jason, you know, uh, and then kept Denzel as a, as a recruit. So we had some really good pieces to build around. And then I thought we did a really good job being strategic in terms of who we added in the portal, you know, really good guys, uh, guys that fit kind of the fabric of our program uh, and then really good talents. And so we were able to kind of go in and, and fill some holes and get some guys that were a little older, a little more accomplished. And, and then, like I said, fit, you know, were skilled and guys that we thought would uh, really mesh with the guys that we already had. And, and so knock on wood so far, I feel that that's kind of coming to fruition within our practices. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
it's something that, you know, we're going to, I feel like here at Florida, we're going to be able to get more talented guys out of high school. And so we'll be able to continue to focus on that. But, you know, we're going to always, until uh, I would say at least for the next year or two, until those COVID years run out, you know, we'll, we'll add, you know, a piece or two or three in the portal every year if, if that's what the roster is, uh, is asking for. And so I would say it's more of a year to year build at this point, you know, and we're mm-hmm. going to hope that we keep some of these younger guys, you know, for three or four years and get them graduated. But, just understanding that the freedom in which they have now to be able to leave and not sit out, it, uh, it makes it a little different where there's a, it's, there's a little less uh, reason for them to stay now knowing that they, they can go play right away. But uh, if we're, if we're doing what we're supposed to, I think we'll, you know, guys like Denzel, you know, we'll keep these freshmen around and graduate them and, and build with those guys as well. And just add some, uh, add some pieces here and there in the portal. I know you got to get up out of here, man. Uh, heard you a big Lil Wayne and a little baby fan. Give me your uh, favorite <laughs> favorite Lil Wayne album. Uh, Carter 3, man. Back in uh, 07, 08 when it came out, you know, I was a senior in college and uh, probably listened to it every day, man. And, uh, you know, Wayne's, you know, I, I don't want to say he's fallen off, but he's definitely changed over the past 15 years from, from right. when he was in his prime. Yeah. Um, and so, he's still in shape. He still can rap now. He, he just, can still go for sure. He just, go. He's got a little different, different way to him. But, uh, you know, a little baby future. Those are those are the guys that I'm rocking with these days. What's your favorite, little, uh, favorite little baby about to drop a new album? But what's your favorite little baby song before you get out of here? I'm a, I'm an all in guy, man. I love all in. Uh, love, yeah, love it, it, it is, man. It goes hard. It gets me going. I appreciate it. All right. I love Thanks it. Thanks for man. Well, thanks yeah. so much, Todd. We appreciate it. Thanks to Denver Parlor, who uh, works for the University of Florida, for helping set this up as well. Uh, Todd, best of luck this season, and uh, we look forward to chatting with you in the future. Yeah, it's great to talk to you, fellas. Appreciate it. Have a great day, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Talk Go to Gators. you soon. Go Gators. Great interview with Todd Golden. Uh, really cool uh, story for him. I think my favorite part of the discussion was – uh, just kind of following his trajectory over the last 10 years is pretty incredible to go from finishing your basketball career over in Israel to working in advertising um, to ultimately ending up as a d- director of basketball operations at Columbia. And right. 10 years later, you are the head coach at the University of Florida is obviously a meteoric rise and probably rivals just about anybody else. That Especially was, uh, without the name recognition, right? Yeah. Like not not to get into like anyone's pockets, but like he was he was working in like selling ads. Like you're making good money selling mm-hmm. ads, you know, for uh for sports to Comcast and and, and to IMG. Um and then <laughs> after turning down your buddy for a job for a while, you're like, ah, you know what, I don't love this anymore. Let me go back to my buddy. He's offered me the job a couple of times. Uh, this should be easy. And he's like, oh, now, now you want to, now, you, now you're interested in the job. All right, well, you're going to be Dobo. You're not going to be a coach. Yeah. You're going to be the director of basketball operations and you're going to have to earn it. And you're still like, okay, yeah, I'll put down, you know, a six figure job uh, to go work uh, 106 hours a week, uh, you know, cutting up film and, and, and doing stuff behind the scenes for a basketball program. Yeah. Meteoric guys, yeah, dope man. He's young man. He got a lot of a lot of potential. Um, excited to see what the basketball program looked like this fall before I get all crazy. But I just like the way he's talking. We'll see what the offense looks like. Yeah, I think that they just started doing some some practices that I saw uh, late last week, and so it'll be great to watch them. Obviously, a completely new team uh, from what we saw last year under Mike White. Um, so definitely excited and, and very appreciative of of him. 
uh, for sitting down with us and definitely appreciate Denver Parlor uh, for helping put all of that together. Uh, let's give a quick shout out uh, to our friends over at Alumni Hall. So want Gator Gear, Alumni Hall is your ultimate shopping experience. Uh, new blue jerseys that are there, new Jordan polos are out, and everything you need for your tailgate setup are in store and online now. So make sure when you're ready uh, for Gator football, when it comes back here in just a few short weeks, visit them on Archer Road in Gainesville or at alumnihall.com. Alumni Hall, where Gator fans shop, including myself. Got me uh, one of the new white polo, coaches polo, Jumpman polos that came out. Uh, so very excited to wear that. Uh, had my old Nike um, polo shirt for about six years now, so it's time to – to put that one into retirement. So, all right, gentlemen, we've got Friday night lights coming in next Friday. Um, mm -hmm. Some big names uh, on that list. Want to go over uh, some of those. Want to give a shout out to Corey Bender, uh, Cormani McLean. Uh, some discussion about him on three's rankings. Uh, Nick, you're going to have to stand for your organization here in a second. Drops Cormani McLean down from uh, the number three. Uh, overall player down to number 19, but he'll be uh, in attendance. Number one defensive tackle, James Smith, uh, five-star edge, Jaquavius Rousseau, uh, Desmond Ricks, who's been on campus now a couple of times, will be there. Top 100 defensive lineman, Kelby Collins, uh, safety, Jordan Castle. Castell, pardon me. Uh, I think the Gators are potentially hoping uh, to have him in this class in the not-too-distant future. Uh, same with defensive lineman, Will Norman. Uh, over at IMG Academy. Uh, Andy Jean, who released the top five with the Florida Gators in it. Uh, on three, uh, top 300 player defensive lineman Cameron James, who shot up the rankings. Um, offensive tackle Tyree Adams. Gators desperately need some help uh, on the offensive line. Uh, Eugene Wilson, Gator commit, uh, will be in attendance. Lewis Carter, four-star linebacker. Uh, potential commit wide receiver to Quavia Sori. Uh, offensive line target Peyton Kirkland. Uh, Sharif Denson, Tran Webb, Bryce Levitt, Gavin Hill, Nijay Harris, Creed Whittemore, and a number of other big names there looking to shape up to be a big weekend. Uh, I know that they're doing Friday Night Lights on Friday and then doing a cookout and barbecue on Saturday. Uh, Nick, do you know anything more that you might be able to share or Silk, anything more about that event that you guys uh, have heard about? Um, I, I think a little more um, – uh exclusive a little, a little smaller um than normal yep. um for friday night lights which is good um probably getting back to what it, what it started as um and then the cookout i think is is i don't know how many of these kids that like you really want to get and like sure you'll get a kid that shows out at friday night lights mm -hmm. i think the cookout might even be more of a better recruiting tool than the actual friday night lights camp mm. Just because okay. you're kind of in a chill, um, laid-back environment. You, <clears throat> you have more time to talk. The coaches aren't running through drills, stuff like that. Um, you can focus on guys. Um, break bread, baby. Relationship ribs. That's right. Yeah, I do like that Like, like that it's more exclusive. Um, they, they dwindled down the numbers some. It, it just became like a, a normal or regular camp. Uh, and that's not how Urban started it when he got came mm -hmm. aboard. So – I do like that. I just want to see what the names are officially uh, next week. I know we got some decisions coming up this week, um, starting, I think, tomorrow. 
or it'll be today when this drop, I think. Um, we should have some some decisions this weekend as well. I want to see if those guys still make it. And, and you know, um, do got to probably should move that camp up some. You think? I think so. Um, I said it looks like these kids' timetable um, right now for this year is going to be starting to like load up towards the end of the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I've, I've never felt a rush like this of like commits at one time like like we are this summer, in my opinion. So it seems like that camp would be more effective earlier in the summer. Are you allowed to with the dead periods and things of that nature happening? Allowed to what? To have like a Friday night lights in earlier in the summer. Yeah, I mean Miami and the other schools have had camps. <clears throat> Paradise camp. Yeah. I just think you move it up. This is a date thing. I think yeah. you can move it up early in the summer, uh maybe in June sometime. And it's more effective than. Uh, do you think it's a? Do you think it's a this year thing or it's a it's a new wave thing? Because it could just be this cycle. Yeah, it could be, but it feels like this this may be a thing. Um, and then you just can't hurt yourself by going early in the summer, right? To just be safe. Um, I think I think the point of it was there. Everyone had their camps, and and Urban wanted it to be the biggest, the most exclusive, and then the last one. Like mm-hmm. before, it was the last visit these kids are going to take before they start their fall practice. So I think that's why they hold it late. But if yeah. you're putting yourself at a competitive disadvantage in recruiting by doing it late, you got to weigh the cost benefit analysis of, all right, cool. It is the last time, the last campus they're going to see before they go, you know, to their, to, to start their senior season, junior season, whatever it may be uh, versus, well, shoot, if, the, if all these kids are already committed to other schools, are they even going to come? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'd i have to look back at other dates of, of when, when they've been. This one does seem later than other years previous. Um, you know, I, again, I don't know how Friday Night Lights compares now to the other events around the country. I'm not saying that it's better. I'm not saying that it's worse. Um, but I'm just curious to, to see how it does compare. You know, certainly Urban Meyer was one of the first uh, to, to jump on the, the Friday, you know, camp and the night camp and everything else. Uh, so I'm curious to see how it compares, um, you know, and also is it time to maybe do something different, right? Um, mm. You know, has it kind of run its course? Um, you know, as a Friday night event, is it better on a Saturday? Would you get better participants uh, on a fr- on a Saturday compared to Friday? I don't know, right? But uh, you know, certainly this Friday night lights, outside of the COVID years, certainly seems like the the one that's the least hyped. Not necessarily that the attendees are the least hyped, but certainly the number of attendees seems a lot smaller. Which you know, Nick said you you know feels pretty purposeful, but also there doesn't seem to be a lot of hype around uh, this event, but I think part of it is because a lot of folks are starting to make decisions now a hell of a lot earlier than they used to. Right. So, you know, this used to be the time that kids would get on the campus and then they would visit a time or two uh, in the fall. And now it just seems like a lot of these kids are, are making the decision before going into their senior year and, and probably won't travel much. And, you know, if they haven't made their decision by the end of July, will this really impact a ton of, you know, on their decision? I'm, I'm not sure. So certainly uh, we'll be excited to see who uh, does come on to campus. Uh, Certainly a lot of big names uh, potentially in attendance. I do want to talk about um, just 
overall class thoughts. Um, Silk, I know you said that there's you know potentially some some transfers. We talked a little bit about last week, but uh, you know just another week. Any any additional thoughts? I know that there's obviously a lot of discussion about Jay Bateman uh, right now, and certainly Rob Sale uh, that the Gator fit the Gator fan base seems to be talking about. But uh, from a recruiting perspective, uh, Gators blue chip uh, numbers come out uh, on the on three. Uh, rankings and right now, I mean, if you look at their class, it, it's a a pretty good class overall. Uh, right now, I think they've got uh, they've got four uh, three stars, and then the rest that make up that class are four stars. Um, you know, so eight and four, eight to four, um, pretty solid. Um, no numbers. What do you guys think? Then the numbers are solid, but the problem is uh, like. Do- your options to fill the class out or disappearing. So that number, that average is probably going to drop unless we flipping people, mm-hmm. right? Uh, just just from the law of numbers. So I think that's the, the biggest issue and just uh, the targets we missing out on on head-to-head battles, that average could be even better and we losing out to uh, Florida State. It's one thing if we think it's NIL-based um, and we may have got outbid it, but that's not happening with battles with Florida State. Uh, in South Carolina, in my mind, mm-hmm. so just those, those battles like that, we should be able to win, and we and our fan base is used to winning those. Those don't; those are not not Florida. When Florida State's down, we win those. But South Carolina, like that's just not one we should be losing out on, especially um, you know um, for kids from this state. Mm. So I think that's just that is a little alarming. I mean, I don't want to make light of that. Like we should be able. Some of these the linebacker board is abysmal. Like I don't know. Uh, what the board is right now. Mm-hmm. You got any eligibility? I got, I got, if they, if they allow me, man, I get out there at 145 pounds, give them what I got. <laughs> they, that's a, you got, you got gunner size. You might, you used to have, you used to have that linebacker size. I got, I got linebacker mentality though. So. Hey, okay. Yeah. You got, I got that dog in me. <laughs> yeah. I know how to get out of the way of road grades too. That's, <laughs> I, I, I'm shifty. <laughs> um, that's the biggest thing that, that you hit on silk is that I think the class is in a good place, but the positions that you need to get, well, what's left out there. Yeah. Right. And, and are you just going to start throwing offers? Cause you need linebackers in this class. Cause you need offensive linemen in this class. Yes. Um, just to fill, just to mm-hmm. fill the class. Cause you want to get 25, 26, 30. Um, you know, cause right now, uh, you're going to be able to sign more than 25 a year. So you're not even you know, beholden to only signing 10 more guys. Um, that's the issue for me. And, and how much does Florida's success or not even success in wins and losses total, but what does the product look like um, mm-hmm. that you can sell to maybe flip some guys and like, Hey, look, we, we were seven and five this year. We played Texas A&M really close. We played Georgia closer than people thought you Corey Knowles are the linebacker that we need to help our defense, which gets us one more stop. And then we beat Georgia. Then we beat mm-hmm. Texas A&M. Can you sell that? Um, so to me, it, it, you hit the nail on the head is that I, I have no problem where the class is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, perfectly, I think it will drop based on the guys that are available. Um, you know, the blue chip ratio, at least will drop. Right. Yeah, no, I'll be curious to see, you know, how it ultimately does shake out. Um, you know, certainly, you know, the Gators are are sitting in a good position, I think, from a wide receiver uh, perspective. I, I think that they're going to be able to get some solid players on the defensive side man, of the ball, everybody's worried about Cole, like, Kerry. Like, Kerry out here cooking, man, with hot grease. 
Yeah. Cobra. Give him some flowers. <laughs> I think we're gonna land a couple more receivers that's gonna be on um, the real deal. But he's yeah. doing what he gotta do. He ain't he's far from the problem. Yeah, no, I would agree 100%. But, uh, you know, certainly Florida has some issues at, uh, at linebacker, uh, some issues on the offensive line, um, you know, and probably some just other, you know, areas as well. Well, they'll probably take some solid players, but, you know, missed out on on some elite gets. And that's really where, you know, Florida has missed, I would say, over the last, you know, number of years is, you know, Florida's consistently had some pretty good recruiting classes. They just haven't been elite. And even if they are – uh, ranked pretty well. There's not a lot of, you know, big game changers, right? You know, like right. when you think of a game changer, you think of like um, a Dalvin Cook was a game changer for FSU, right? Uh, Percy Harvin, you know, Tim Tebow were, were game changers. There's There's been a few, but it just seems like Florida has had some very solid classes and they really need to start landing some big, you know, names that are going to attract other people uh, to be there. Certainly getting a guy like Cormani McLean would be great, uh, but still you, you need to be in a position to land those guys. And I just don't know if, if Florida's going to get that this year, um, you know, and we just kind of see what kicking the can down. I think the approach is, and I think this, this isn't just Florida's approach. I think this is probably a couple schools approach. Um, I think Florida's approach is, and I think Pate, one of the, one of the guys, I think it's Josh Pate, his name. He had a yeah, Josh Pate. Um, these bills and these promises are going to come a do. You know, like every, a lot of people are making NIL promises and and also giving uh, upfront money, what while may be illegal, but that that's happening. That's always mm-hmm. happened. That it's not going to change the NIL. Um, I don't think Georgia's playing that game right now, um, and I think they will be. They should be recruiting at a higher level, and I think they are just cuffing some money and some tactics. Uh, until rents do. Um, yeah. Georgia, just, Georgia just came off a national championship year. I think even though they're doing good recruiting, but I think they're holding that their, 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 their bullets until the final uh, the final duel, uh, I would say. And I think that's Florida approach. We just can't sell wins like a Georgia and a Bama can, right? Mm-hmm. So they're still able to get guys from their, their recent success in their last year playoffs and whatnot. Um, so I think we have a similar approach to those guys. We just can't sell winning right now. And also, we have a, a coach that we just got from mm-hmm. G five. That's just what mm-hmm. it is. So we have a similar approach. We just don't have the same product to sell right now. And right. Then we we got to see who's right because Tennessee is one of those got one of those program. I think is they getting busy in NIL right now. Then they making some promises. They landing a nice class. Um, but we've seen <laughs> Tennessee do this in the off season before. Um, they did it with Pruitt. They had some crazy off season with class, and people thought Tennessee was back. And then you know things happen. Season get played, and, and it falls apart. But I think there's some different approaches from different programs here, and, and we'll see what the final results are and who's right um, with the approach to this NIL and the way recruiting set up. Yeah. Um, I think that you make a you know, really good point there, Silk. I think that that's something that, you know, we're certainly – there's still a lot of, of time left between now and, you know, national signing day. Obviously there is a lot of, um, you know, things in the back of my mind that, that know that NIL is important and know that relationships are important, but also know that winning no matter what uh, is also important, right? right? You know, a lot of these kids want to be able to compete and, you know, certainly there's going to be the ones that go and, and maybe just take the most money or, you know, to be the, the prized possession in a recruiting class. But, um, or the prize to get uh, in a recruiting class, uh, you know, but I'm curious to see how it all does start to shake out, right? Obviously, you know, Miami's throwing a lot of money in, in name, image, and likeness and uh, with LifeWall, and they don't do a, uh, 
they don't really try to hide that at all. Right. And they they've had less success than Florida's had uh, over the last, you know, certainly the last two decades. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Right. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens at a school like Louisville that seems to be recruiting well with with NIL um, and what happens with Tennessee. I'm not as high on Tennessee's classes. Maybe uh, some of the recruiting services are. I mean, if you look at on three, a lot of their recruits are are ranked in the, the 900s or below. Uh, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see where this all does shake out. Uh, overall, but you know, like you've said, you know, I think that Florida's class can be can be solid, but it's still missing that that big piece and that big component, um, you know, to to truly start to compete for those those big what championships. Is, my question about offensive line recruiting: what what is the dynamic like? Is there a lead recruiter with these guys, or do they split the room area? Like, what is Stapleton and and us in sales role in the recruiting world? Do you know Nick? Um, what do you hear from recruits? Do, do do recruits talk to both of these guys? Like, what what is their their process? Like, we got two guys recruiting a room, and, and, and like for to have two guys in that room is the results ain't just ain't there. So it's interesting yeah, they, what the process is like. Well, they both got their their areas, um, but they will definitely talk to to recruits, whether it's DM on the phone, um, and then when they're on campus, both guys, yeah, it, it's a tag team effort. So. Uh, right now, you're not getting a lot from your uh, three and four hitters in the lineup. Right. Yeah, no, Florida's in a bad position there. Uh, that's probably the position they're sitting worst in right now. Certainly, there's going to be some transfers and you know areas that they can can try to you know satiate the uh, the need there. But but right now, that that offensive line recruiting is is not going well. And it's been quite some time, right? I mean, outside of Osiris Torrance, uh, who comes to UF as a transfer, you know, Florida hasn't recruited offensive line outstandingly in the last right. decade, right? Um, <clears throat> we got well, some four those, stars in there, but four, almost half that decade was was John Hevesy, and you weren't going to be landing uh, a bunch of recruits when he was your offensive line coach. Right. But I mean, you look at the recruiting, you know, you look at the offensive line room now and you say, hey, that could be one of Florida's best areas. Right. We had Josh Braun on last week. Obviously, you had Osiris Torrance. You have Richard Garage. You have some, you know, guys that were ranked, you know, pretty well. But you don't have any real elite guys that were, you know, the top of the class. I mean, Richard Garage maybe was, um, you know, in his group. But, you know, ultimately, overall, what if instead of having, you know, a group of solid four stars that you developed, if you had, a couple five stars to be able there to develop as well. Right. And, and you can say that in a lot of different areas and we can look and say Florida's blue chip ratio is, is great. You know, the class of 25, 18 of them are four star or higher. Right. But like you're missing that, that five star that can turn into an elite player, right. You're, you're taking good players and making them better. But what if you took a great player and made them better? Right. That's where I think that, you know, ultimately Florida's missing right now. It's it's I've always said it's a tough position to yeah. recruit well at. Um, you know, a ton of it is long term projections. I mean, you look at a guy like um, David Sharp. Mm -hmm. David Sharp was a consensus five star guy, and then I go to one of his high school games up in Jacksonville, and I'm like, he weighs 120 pounds more <laughs> than any defensive lineman he's playing against, mm -hmm. and they run the ball. 95 percent of the plays that they're calling are runs. I'm like. How you? I mean, maybe he's a five star, but I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing him do one thing against smaller guys, and, and you've got guys like that throughout the country. So it's a huge projection for offensive linemen. Usually, you start 
projecting and listen, you got a whole damn army of people mm-hmm. that are breaking down film and that are helping and recruiting. So um, not to say that you should have, you know, seven, three stars and be like, Hey, listen, trust our evaluation, but uh, it is a tough position to, to recruit. No mm-hmm. doubt. Uh, let's give a quick shout out to our friends over at home field apparel. Use promo code stadium and Gale at checkout. Uh, maybe you're a Kansas state fan. Who knows? Maybe you have a family or friend that, that went there and you want to buy them some stuff. They just dropped some, uh, a new line for Kansas state this past Saturday. Uh, but ultimately you're here for the Gators, 17 different options, t-shirts, hoodies, retro from the baseball script, uh, Florida logo to a track and field logo, uh, to some old Albert and Alberta, uh, logos to, uh, some Gator logos from the seventies, eighties and nineties. Go check them out homefieldapparel.com promo code stadium and gale all one word uh nick these next two segments are going to be focused on you uh want to talk about baseball and the draft that just came out but sec media days started today you and zach albaverde will be heading up there tomorrow um your thoughts what kind of questions where, where are you going to go what are you try to get out of billy napier uh, at um, sec media days and how can we help you? What right. narratives do you need us to help you guide? Excellent. What narratives? Let's, what narratives do you want me to? Best put hands in? on the staff. Best hands on staff. <laughs> traditional little Wayne or little baby. Yeah. Um, it's uh, I don't know what will get so much out of Billy. He's going to be asked a ton about name, image, likeness. Going to be asked a bunch about conference expansion. Both things. Uh, he's a broken record on. He doesn't know enough about the SEC. He's just trying to 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 coach his team. Can't can't really uh, isn't educated enough to talk about conference realignment. Um, NIL. Florida has a huge alumni base. Um, NIL will be a strength for the University of Florida. Passionate fan base. The Gator Collective. Yeah. The Gator Collective. Yep. Got yep. Got the talking points. So he's gonna be asked about that. Um, so glad that we have our our time. Uh, with the local media only because we know not to ask those questions because I think I just gave the uh, Cliff Notes guide of what he will say to any of those. Um, I, I want to know more, and I don't know that he'll get into it, but you, you got to ask. I want to know more, where is the program right now? Uh, when you come in and you have a plan as a coach, where do you want to be 30 days in, 60 days in, 90 days in, where do we want to be at, you know, as we're on the doorstep of the season, are you hitting your targets? Are you where you want the program to be? Are you a little behind? Are you ahead? Um, And and some honesty there would be cool. Um, I I haven't seen a lot of talk about Jason Marshall and maybe we're caught up and and we, there's just really no hype about him. Um, I haven't really seen him on like any, preseason watch lists, awards, stuff like that. And that stuff's still coming out. Um, Want to know what his thoughts about Jason Marshall are. And then probably even more importantly, uh, across from him, who's playing across from him. Yeah. Uh, some things like, Hey, you brought a quarterback, you brought Anthony. You, you didn't really, I don't, maybe I'm forgetting, but he, I don't think he really named Anthony the starter, but you bring your starter and it's not a surprise that he's the starting quarterback, but you bring, your starting quarterback to media days. I think since Jeff Driscoll, this is only the third quarterback that's gone to media days uh, for Florida. Oh, wow. With with Felipe Franks being the other one, one year. Um, And then maybe just like a big picture thing, like you're in this circus now and SEC media days is a 
circus. Um, just overall thoughts on getting the full SEC experience when you know you're going through the uh, the car wash of media day. Well, he's yeah. the head coach now. He's had some experience of it. Has he oh, ever boy. been at SEC media day at all? No, 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 no. It's just the head coaches, yeah. Head head coach and players. Okay, okay. And the uh, yeah, I'd be curious. I'd also be interested to know. Maybe this isn't an SEC media day's question, but you know how the staffs gelling together, right? Not just your your um, your staff that's made up of a lot of different people that have never worked together. Right. I mean, you had a, a guy like Corey Raymond, you know, what, what's his impact been life and and, and working with uh, with Patrick Tony. Right. I mean, they're they're collabing for that yeah. uh, that backfield. Right. What's that relationship been like or or what's it been like trying to assimilate 70 people into a new town while you yourself are getting assimilated? Uh, and how is that all working together? So I'd be curious to know more about that. I doubt that you'll be able to have that that conversation to a real uh, actual discussion other than uh, we've got a, a fantastic team that's that's working hard behind the scenes yeah. and you know they they are they really care about the Gator Nation and, and he's very proud of their work. But I'd be actually curious to see how all of that is going uh, overall. But certainly there's a there's a mix of old and new, so a mix of, of big names that people have heard of and certainly you know new names onto the uh, coaching radar. So all curious to see how that uh, is working together. That will be a fun uh, event I think for you Nick. Uh, this year interested uh to hear ar speak mm-hmm. um from a leadership standpoint I, he speaks i think he speaks well regardless anyway you know so uh to see him be the guy uh get to get the mic like you said we haven't seen quarterbacks um you know as in a leadership position and being able to speak uh, on national television and, and and lead the team man so just interested to see him how he comes off what he wears all that man yeah I am interested in the drip. Yeah, he's, he's, gonna be, yeah. he's, he's got some. I'm not gonna lie, he doesn't. He probably doesn't work with Hong Kong Andy, but he probably works with uh, somebody probably equal caliber. Probably Zimbabwe uh, Tyrone. Zimbabwe <laughs> Tyrone. Yeah, it's got to be it. It's got to be it. <laughs> who, who is actually from Thailand? <laughs> <laughs> that's, got, that's a that's a, a fantastic name for the title please and bob way tyrone um, <laughs> uh, i'm curious to see that uh nick i want to ask you though I, i'm starting to see a lot of names and who people are excited about and everything else um the top five quarterbacks uh according to uh why do we keep seeing will levis's name he's on that hype so train. High? listen Satan works hard, but Will Levis's management team works hard. I'll tell you what. Like, the guy is a – he's a good quarterback. He's good. Yeah. He's fine. You're not mad if he's your quarterback. I'm seeing Kentucky fans saying that he's better than Bryce Young, the Heisman winner from Correct. last year. They think it's egregious that you're even putting Anthony Richardson in the same – Context in the same sentence as well. Like, what, are we, what are we doing here? Listen, he went what, nothing against for 17 him. last year against you. <laughs> nothing against him. Seems like a, a nice guy. Definitely weird. Uh, eating banana skins, mayo in the coffee. Weird. He's marketed himself as the weird guy. Um, so his agent, his manager, whoever it is. He is that guy. Uh, hey, if you if you have any room on your roster, I'll, I'm looking for representation too because he's working wonders for Will Levis. How you think yeah. he's gonna brand you, bro? I don't know, bro. But listen, you got a guy <laughs> eating banana skins, and now they're talking about him. 
People are actually talking about him as a first-round quarterback pick. A first-round pick in the, in the NFL draft. That's so <laughs> it's not me. I'm paying that guy to tell to market me. I don't need to tell him how to do it. He's he's doing it with a will. I'll I'll be honest with you. I um just remember his name because him and Spencer of Spencer's Jerk and Jerky beefed on the internet, or maybe Spencer made fun of him or something. I don't remember, but they got into it on the internet last year. That's really kind of the only reason I remember his name. Uh, certainly not a bad quarterback, uh, but uh, definitely I uh, did not anticipate Tim Tebow ranking him as the second best quarterback in the SEC behind Bryce Young, ahead of Anthony Richardson at three. Spencer Rattler, number four, and Hendon Hooker, number five. I'll be honest with you. I think Spencer Rattler is getting a lot of, uh, you know, people that have forgotten maybe what we saw out of him at Oklahoma. It was egregious. Um, you know, I don't think that South Carolina's it offense is going to be any better uh, than Oklahoma in terms of putting players in position to make uh, impact with the ball. So um still very surprised to see Spencer Rattler's name. Uh, that high. Not saying that Anthony Richardson's name should be higher or lower. It has nothing to do with him. It's just a bit surprised that Will Levis is number two, according to Tim Tebow. And uh, I, I thought Hendon Hooker might be a little bit higher, to be honest with you. He put up some, at least some numbers last year. That's the, in typical Tennessee fashion, turn it on at the end of the year uh, with, with the lesser part of your schedule. Start that hype train for the, for the offseason. I'm excited to see this team, man. I know we're not going to get into a whole lot of fall talk, but we just got to mm-hmm. see a team that quit towards the end of last year. So it was a lot of sour, like, memories. Mm-hmm. But um, seeing these guys with some new buy-in, you know, um, we are, you're going to get a spark. So I know our schedule's rough, but I'm excited to see what, you know what I'm saying, these guys step out and do. Absolutely. Like 15 um, go crazy. It's, it's a wrap. You know, we just need him to just stay healthy, bro. Go, go brazy, as the kids would say. Already. Hey, look at that. Look at Nick. Um, look Nick, at um, hello, youths. Hello, how do you do? <laughs> um, Nick, let's uh, let's talk a little baseball. Um, MLB draft. Are you still doing like 700 rounds or did they just 20? Just 20. <laughs> 20, 20, 20 rounds. 20 rounds. I remember who was it? Was it, um, Oh, one of the Gator players. I forgot who it was that just got drafted again, was drafted in like the 39th round a few years ago by the A's. I'm like, good goal. Good Lord. Anyway, Nick, um, in the first couple of days, uh, the Gator signee, uh, first baseman, Xavier Isaac, got drafted by the Rays, number 29 yep. overall. I would imagine that that's a guy that is going to probably take that money and go uh, and move here to beautiful Tampa Bay. Well, not to Tampa no. Bay, probably head to – uh, some western Mississippi town or something for a few months. Um, and then Sterling Thompson uh, and goes at the very end of the first round. Uh, number 31, Hunter Barco, uh, 44th. Judd Fabian, uh, 67th. Um, Judd was drafted 54 last year, decided to come back. Uh, gets picked up at 67 this year. But, uh, Nick, why don't you dive in a little bit more about the Gators baseball uh, draft? Yeah, um, Flores had four guys picked. <clears throat> um, I think the recruiting – I'll get in the recruiting class uh, second. Four guys picked. Um, as you mentioned, Sterling Thompson was the first one to go. Uh, Colorado Rockies, he went 31st overall. Hunter Barco, despite having Tommy John surgery, goes 47th overall to the Pirates. He's still going to be on the shelf. Uh, he'll miss his 
probably his entire first year of Pro Bowl. Um, but he'll sign Judd Fabian, 67th to the suddenly hot Baltimore Orioles, uh, no longer a doormat. And then Brandon Sproke goes 90th to the Mets. All of those guys will sign. Um, Xavier Isaac, he'll sign. Isaac is the only Florida Gator um, signee that has dra- that has been drafted and is going to leave. And oh, wow. somebody else was saying to me, um, you know, does that mean the does that mean the the class is bad? And it's like, no, there's a, there's a lot of reasons. You know, a guy that a guy like Luke Hyman, um, a catcher who is going to make it to campus now, which is great for Florida. Um, can put out a number. Hey, I, I'm not going to sign for less than $2 million. Um, The Red Sox just signed their first-round pick from last night for $2 million over slot. So, like, they oh, really wow. wanted him. He probably told them, hey, here's a number that's going to take to sign me. And they go, okay, sure, whatever. We're not. We're going to take it. Some of the numbers guys give might scare teams off. Um, and then all of a sudden, it scares them off. Okay, well, is he signable or are we, we going to waste our first-round pick? Are we going to waste our second-round pick? And then by the time it gets to the fifth, sixth round, that that slot and the guys you've taken, now it doesn't make sense. And then guys fall because of that. So a guy like Luke Hyman, I think, would have been a top 10 pick. He probably is telling people after the fourth, fifth round, hey, it, this is my number. It's You're not going to be able to sign me. Um, so Florida's recruiting class is really good. Um, Hyman's probably the best one um, in the class coming in. But you have a couple guys – Right from down the street from you, Dan, uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. They're gonna be in the class. Okay, um, big rival. So smaller Fort Springs High School. Uh, I don't think. <laughs> also, I don't, I don't live would down say there that. anymore. But I don't think Douglas would consider it a rival. <laughs> you say Fort Springs have no rival? No, 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 no. They not. They probably think they have rivals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like they Tennessee. have. They have rivals. It's like Tennessee having a rivalry with Florida. Right. Right. It's like, ah, oh, we just we just happen to play you every year. It's not a real rap. <laughs> no, we just, we just play. <laughs> they just keep scheduling it. Um, so overall for Florida, I had someone text me yesterday, and then they were Wait, like, Wait, Douglas was a national champion? Damn. I wonder how bad baseball? they beat my uh, Coral Springs Colts by. Oh. <laughs> Y'all the Colts. Oh. Yeah. Oh. They used to <laughs> up until I think the 90s. Coral Springs baby horses. They, um, <laughs> the they, donkeys. They, <laughs> they used to have a place that you could tie your horse up at the school, I think, up until the 90s. Oh, that's good. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of tradition at Coral Springs. We've been, <laughs> we've been trash for a long time. Getting better, <laughs> I think. I've heard, but. Can't get worse. No, nah, no. Not putting a lot of guys into professional sports. Um, but uh, so, Nick, uh, the Gators also uh, grabbed uh, a transfer uh, from Mercer that was uh, was drafted. Colby Thomas, mm-hmm. um, Brandon Sprout was drafted uh, 90th, 90th. Uh, overall. Uh, Thomas, does, does Colby Thomas? Yeah, Colby Thomas campus? is not going to make I, – I, okay. I would be very surprised if he makes it to campus. So – when you get drafted, you're so when I say like slot or what this guy signed for, that's just your signing bonus. And obviously, when you're negotiating that signing bonus, the fallback plan of, all right, well, I'm just going to go play at Florida next year is a lot more of a negotiating tool than, all right, I'm just going to go back and play at Mercer next year. Sure. Um, I understand. He wanted to be drafted in the first three rounds. Now, listen, he might not get, I'd have to go in and see. Um, who drafted him, who they drafted ahead of him, 
what they did in the next 10 rounds because each team gets a pool of money to use for those first 10 picks. And and you can go over that, but you get heavily penalized for going over that pool. So we'll see if he gets the number he wants to sign, but it was, I think, his intention um, to sign this year. And if for some reason he fell in the draft, um, he would have been fine going to Florida. But I think Florida for him was more of a negotiating tool uh, for the draft. But if you're Kevin O'Sullivan and a kid who's going to be a top three, five round draft pick wants to come to your school, you don't say no. Sure. Uh, Corey Acton also. Um, never mind. Um, oh, yeah. I guess. The Georgia transferred. Georgia transferred. Yeah. Florida, Florida Gators transferred to, uh, to Georgia. He was drafted uh, on uh, a later round. Uh, let's see, ninth round of the uh of the draft today and then i'm trying to see if there's anybody else that uh that we need to talk about certainly uh congratulations to all of those folks that that were drafted uh judd fabian has to leave right or could he potentially come back he could come back he's not going to but he could okay. yeah this was yeah um anybody and you presume everybody that's been drafted so far that is eligible to leave or that is eligible to come back will probably choose to leave correct you can't say definite okay but they definitely will leave okay perfect uh appreciate <laughs> that uh silk uh, i think we are nearing the end of the show why don't you get us a manscaped ad read and then i think you also have there nick you have song of the week so start thinking about what that is Manscape.com. You heard my man Nick in the intro, man. Uh, no Harry Larry. You got your man Hoochie Shorts. You need a lawnmower 4.0 to keep to keep them thighs right, man. Skies out, thighs out, baby. Um, use coupon code 20SG at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Um, they also have body wash, um, weed whacker for your nostrils and ears. They have underwear. <laughs> they have ball toner and spritzer uh, to keep everything smooth, man. And also deodorant, which is a mandatory uh, man. You need to keep that in your man bag. Just keep that on deck, man, so you don't get any sticky situation uh, in these hot summer months. Uh, coupon code 20SG at checkout for 20% off. Perfect. Here. Nick, what do we got? <clears throat> Hopefully no um, pirate theme songs. It's a shanty. It's a shanty. <laughs> Uh, no, we're going um, – you might call this a little too Nashville country, Dan, but Luke Combs is – A big, big Luke Combs fan. You never know what to expect out of Nick, man. You just never know what he's going to bring. It could be, it could be Lil Wayne. It could be some country. It could be – I'm all over folk, the map. Some folk music. You just never yeah. know. I provide balance. Silk's got you know, rap, you know. R&B. Yeah. Dan's hitting us with marshmallow. And then some like off, off the beaten path country. Um <laughs> Right. And I'm going. I'm going country this week. It's Luke Combs' new album. Um, the album's called "Growing Up," and the yeah. song is the first one doing this. That's that. I'll tell you what. That song Love slaps. Song. That is hey, on. Boy, my you start blushing with that. That guy got to be five. That is excited about that. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll Give tell you bars. what. Give me some bars. That is a top, probably ten country music song that's come out in the last year. I think. Get the people some bars, man. Go karaoke on. Well, th- see what happened was the last time I sang on it was this a hit. show, the internet was was, no, was, was quite it? critical of me. So I don't want to take this one away from Luke Combs. <laughs> it was okay. I think we took it away from who was it, Diamond Rio last time, or 
the George Strait. I don't remember who I was singing oh, last time. I'll let Luke it, Combs have this it one. Was I, it was I Told You So. You sang when I, when I made the song, I Told You So. Uh, yes. The Machada episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, uh, boys, great show. We are near uh, the beginning of football season, which is always obviously Let's elite go. content uh, and everything else. So we are excited. Uh, happy monday evening thanks to everybody that that followed us on youtube we are going to be uh, doing a, a live stream of this show each and every week on our youtube channel uh so definitely check that out make sure you check out and reach out to our sponsors use those promo codes if you forget feel free to check out that youtube they're scrolling at the bottom um supports make- us and saves you some money it does. Every single person that we that sponsors our show is giving you the opportunity to save money uh, as well. So thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you guys next week. Here. Someone asked me once in an interview. What was growing up like? Where'd you go to school? And what would you do if you weren't doing this? I'd be driving my first car in a worn out Dodge, trying to make rent with a dead end job, just making do. Tips in a jar, my guitar in an old bar in the day who was burning CDs just to give away paying his dues if I wasn't doing this five deep in a van head full of steam hot on the heels of my neon dreams may be coming true living this life just like I was born to do
Doing this. 